Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Bikes for Death podcast. My name is Patrick and I'm your host. Uh, this is the show that talks about bikepacking, adventuring, and the cool people who participate. And that is exactly what I have for you today. Uh, not even 24 hours ago, I sat down via Skype with Sofian, uh, who you will know just came off of uh, an impressive lead on the Tour Divide. Uh, he was beating Mike Hall's record. And he made the decision to scratch, which caused a lot of chitter chatter on the internet. And uh, so, I first of all, I think most of us who watched him were just beyond impressed and are are true fans of his. Um, and so, I, I wanted to talk to him originally because he just was laying down some incredible times. Uh, just not stopping, not sleeping. I mean, not not just like not sleeping, but the dude wasn't stopping. I don't know when he stopped to pee or go to the bathroom or anything. Um, and so anyway, I wanted to talk to him for that reason. But there was also just like a lot of shit talking going on or just a lot of opinions floating around on the internet while he was out there riding his bike. And I wanted to give him an opportunity to address that. And uh, so if you stick around through the whole episode towards the end of it, we kind of get into some of that, and I really appreciate him being willing to talk about it and address it. He's a super stand-up guy who, I mean, he he's just he's a composed dude who has a level head, and he had some really good things and really good perspectives. So I hope that's what most people walk away with, is just a different perspective, a different understanding. Wanted to give him an opportunity to tell his story, so that's what we did. Um, so typically, my episodes come out every Monday. I'm putting this one out there because there is so much talk going on right now. It's very topical. So uh, I just want to get this information out there as soon as possible. So, you know, listeners who are familiar with my show um, will note that the quality and and even the style of the episode is is a little bit different. Um, But like I said, this was kind of a special uh, case scenario and I really wanted to get his story. Um, and one other thing is I am, uh, this next week also releasing an episode with Alexandra Huchin, who is currently, uh, in the women's lead on the tour divide for the single speed category. Um, and she might be top single speed overall right now. Um, I know she's been going back and forth with one other guy. So, um, I sat down with her right before the tour divide and that one is coming out next week. So if you've been loving all the uh, Tour Divide coverage and you're looking for more content, I got more coming, so stay tuned. All right, and as always, if you wanna support the show, there's three ways you can find me on Patreon where you can financially support the show. There's no advertisers, no sponsors, it's just me talking to you, and uh, your support means everything. So if you uh, are inclined, head over to Patreon, you can find me there at Bikes or Death. Um, also on my website, bikesordeath.com, you can find an affiliate link for Amazon. If you click on that and you bookmark it, every time you use it, I'll get a little kickback from Jeff Bezos. It doesn't cost you anything, but it goes in my pocket and it's a great way to support the show. Um, and lastly, please, if you could go to iTunes and leave a five star review, that's the best five stars. And I just checked today. I'm going to be honest. I check every day. And I think we're at uh, 59 or 60, so we're croaching in on 100, which would be pretty sweet. Um, all right, that's enough. Uh, let's get to the show. 
I feel uh, I feel all right, really. Um, I don't really feel bummed out about what happened. I uh, I'm in a good place right now. I um, I'm enjoying just uh, resting, recovering, spending quality time with Kirsten at the Brush Mountain Lodge. I uh, I got real scared, to be honest. It was I was not I was really not safe of that pass, and I do not regret my decision of going back. Um, because definitely things could have turned for the worse. Yeah. And um, I'm not really experienced when it comes to that kind of weather, the kind of conditions. And uh, I think I did the smart thing. And I have several people who are way more experienced than I am with the mountain rescue and stuff like that who told me that definitely it was the right thing to do. So I, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't have any. Any regrets? I don't have any. Um, I, I think I, I, I just did what I was supposed to do. I, uh, I'm safe. Yeah. I'm alive. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm in beautiful Colorado. What could be I better? I still have man? my legs. I still have my bike. And I'm uh, probably just, just going to keep riding, just check out some places after that. And there is, you know, a tour divide every year. I'm uh, still. Fairly young at 37, so I can come back anytime and I can, uh, you know, can, can give it a go. And it's not all bad, you know, what happened. I don't, part of the reason why I don't really feel bummed out is that I came here to win, but absolutely not aware that I would be able to break the record. I thought that this record was, uh, Almost unbeatable and definitely not beatable by me, uh, especially since the, the Canadian part now on the Tour Divide is slightly longer but way slower with more single track and uh, the famous Coco claim, or I should say the infamous Coco <laughs> claims. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really not all bad. A lot no. of I have a lot of people, you know, that are sending me messages to... You know, see how I feel, and I'm like, yeah, dude, don't worry, I'm, I'm good. It's just a bike ride. I made it out alive, which is, which is what matters. Yeah. And I will be back, whether it's next year's, whether it's a couple of years from now, and I will, I will give it another go. And now that I know that can, that I can break the record, I know that I'm gonna obsess over it, and and that this, this will be my goal. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let's. Uh jump back just a little bit maybe for people who don't know you that well uh you just came off of the tour divide um what like four and a half days ago and you were you were in yeah. the lead um and and that's what you were just alluding to is why you threw in the towel basically but before i go any further how do you pronounce your name sofian 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 yeah exactly uh was this your first tour divide it was not, actually. It was my second Tour Divide. I raced it uh, in 2016, the year that Mike Hall beat the record. I was there, and I finished in uh, third place uh, in a time of 16 days, exactly 16 days, or 16 days and 25 minutes, to be accurate. And how, how was your race? It was, it was uh, my first race at that time. I had a ton of experience as far as touring goes, but I had never raced. Wow. So I learned 
I learned a lot in 2016. I mean, I made so many mistakes. Um, and I could just, you know, finish it and, and, and get a good finish because of, uh, of uh, me being kind of tough and uh, my, my body be, being willing to, you know, endure the, the, the price that you have to pay to finish this kind of races. But as far as strategy, as far as experience, as far as all this kind of stuff, I, yeah, I was doing everything wrong. I showed up with definitely not enough gear, not the not the right bike. Uh, had no idea what I was doing. Right. And uh, still had a good ride, you know. Still um, managed to get on the podium. Still managed to finish in sixteen days. So that was uh, that was good. I mean, that's damned impressive for your first race. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of people who've done this many times can't even achieve a sixteen day finish. So I mean that in itself i mean the fact that you're kind of like downplaying a 16-day finish gives you perspective i'm guessing like going into this tour divide well yeah what what were your goals going this i knew i knew i would be faster for sure um i didn't know exactly how much faster i could be i i tried to replay the the 2016 tour divide in my head several times and 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 looking at the mistakes I had made at the time and trying to see how much time I could shave off every day. And I knew I could easily go down to 15, but from there, from 15, I had no idea uh, how, much, how, times, how much time actually I could shave off. Um, I, was, I was really doubtful about being able to shave a couple days off mm. the, the 15 days mark. Um, but you know, I was replaying it in my head. I remember, okay, because I had a ton of a ton of troubles on on, the, on on my first go. I came in with really stiff shoes, and they just destroyed my feet. So I had to get new shoes in Butte. But I got I got in Butte by night, so I had to pretty much spend uh, like three or four hours till the till the bike shop opened. Then I got. So lost quite a bit of time, got new shoes, and I had trouble with my um, with my uh, Dyna Hub. Couldn't charge my GPS anymore. Oh, so I ended up several times just going into uh, going into a diner or uh, whatever, just to spend an hour there just to charge my GPS. Right. Um, I also had trouble with my uh, well, having trouble with my Dyna Hub. Uh, I had trouble with my my headlamp, obviously, uh, with my front light, sorry, and I was navigating uh, at night with the headlamp, so which was not ideal, definitely. So, you know, I was trying to when I replayed the 2016 race in my head, I was trying to see like what it would have been without all these troubles, and try and counting like oh oh maybe this there was one time like. From Flag Ranch to Togodi Pass, I stopped twice to resupply. Maybe I can stop, you know, once to resupply, and I'm gonna save half an hour, stuff like that. And yeah, doing this kind of, of calculation, I got down to definitely that 15 days was a reasonable goal. But beyond that, I just had no idea yeah. how much time I would be able to shave off. Did you plan on making up any difference through lack of sleep? 
faster pace or how are you looking so, at making up on the, that just wasted time? I, I definitely came in with that strategy of going two nights in a row without sleep. This was, this was the plan. It's not something I came up with as I was going because I felt great the second night. And this was definitely something that I wanted to do because I knew that there were uh, a super strong roster, uh, just a, a great lineup with a ton of really great racers, former winners of some of the no most pre prestigious bikepacking race. So I wanted to, I wanted to get ahead early. I wanted to, you know, be out there racing the front. That's what I felt comfortable doing, and that's what that's what I wanted to do. And also, I knew that in 2016, um, I made several mistakes on the first day. I, actually, my first mistake is I stayed at the YWCA in Banff uh, in a dorm room, and before the start, I just couldn't get in sleep. So mm -hmm. basically, I stood up at the Grand Depart, and I was already sleep deprived. Yeah. Then. First night, uh, I kind of camped like I would say 10 or 20 miles before Bud's cabin, and I was so cold, and my feet were wet from the flathead, the flathead section that we had in 2016, where we had to push our bikes in a in a on a road that was overrun by a creek. So my feet were completely soaked and super cold, and I camped out of Bud's cabin and just couldn't get any sleep. So basically, uh, people were amazed that this year I went two nights without sleep. Yeah, but you went like two and a half days, I think. It was like 2.58 days or something. I calculated it. Yeah, and actually in 2016, I went three nights without sleep on the first three uh, nights. If you I count the first night before right, it started. Yeah, because I count, I count, yeah, the night before yeah. the race, didn't get any sleep. First night uh, before bus cabin, didn't get any sleep. And then uh, the third night, I felt like I was uh, away from the pointy end, and I decided that I would go another night without sleep, which was kind of stupid. Hmm. But I did it anyway. And what, actually, what, yeah. Is, is that one of your strengths, is going without sleep? Is that something you, like, you have to work at, or are you just naturally able to stay awake? I feel that it's it's something that I'm naturally able to do when I talk about it with people. Some people are like unable to go even one night without sleep. Right. One night without sleep for me is fine. Right. I, I I really can it without any trouble. And then I kind of learn how to, to to train to go like two nights without sleep. Actually, what I did on the Italy Divide, I raced the Italy Divide end of April uh, this year, and I did it like without any sleep it took me about four days and i just took like a 45 minute nap at some point wow. but i didn't get any real sleep i was not even carrying the sleeping bag wow. i was i was i just had no sleep system my goal was to see how far i could go without sleep and it definitely takes you to really weird and scary places but i feel comfortable doing it on off-road races because there's no car around, right. so if it goes wrong, you're just going to fall asleep and just crash in the ditch, and it's all right. Because <laughs> when you fall asleep, you're not riding 20 miles per hour. You, you're right. riding like 10 miles per hour, then you fall asleep, you crash <laughs> in the ditch. 
you're not going to hurt yourself. But what? on the trip, talk, so can, you, had, can you talk about? You said it gets weird and, da- and dangerous and scary. Like, what is it like to push yourself for two or three days without sleep? Like, what are you going through in your brain or body or whatever? Well, it, it was actually okay on the tour divide, but on the Italy divide, there was some really weird stuff that happened. Like, uh, the third night that I was going without sleep, uh, I felt really sleepy at some point. I was, I was on a bike path somewhere outside of Verona and um I felt like I was kind of falling asleep just riding on the straight bike path in the in the arrow bars and I told myself well you gotta you gotta find a way that you're not gonna fall asleep and uh, there was there were some lights on the horizon I was like okay try and focus on these lights uh and when you got once you're gonna get there because obviously it was dark. It was it was yeah the third night, and once you're gonna get there, you, you know you're gonna have more light. Just, you're gonna you know just wake up from from being there. And I remember just telling myself, okay, focus on these lights. And I would keep riding, and at some points, the lights were behind me. It's like huh. my 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 brain had gone to sleep at some point, like that. I was not aware of what was going on. But legs were still working. Mm-hmm. Like I was able to ride, but just any information that came into my brain uh, just was going out instantly, like immediately. Right. And some some stuff also was kind of weird that night. Um, that part was was uh, um, out in the open, but there was also a back path in the forest, and I felt like I was on a loop actually like kind of i was on the home trainer and and uh i was static and the forest was like kind of a a a decor that was that was being uh like in the in these old movies you know when they're in the cars and are static right but but the uh, scenery's like going past them it felt exactly like that i felt like i was just pedaling and and not moving and, and the, the the trees were were moving but not I hmm. and um, yeah and my brain actually did something that was really weird. It's like my brain tried to convince me that it was just not worth it to go to keep going and not sleep because there was no point in winning the race hmm. and. and it's it's I don't really remember exactly how it happened, but um, yeah, I started thinking about this race, and I started thinking about how nobody cares about the race, so it doesn't make any sense to push myself this far to win it. And yeah, it was it was it was really kind of weird. It's like your Is that brain weird just because it's like contrary to to who you are, like determined to win and wanting to go push yourself. So it's like weird that your brain's telling you something different. Yeah, it's like my brain actually when I was in this forest and and, and thinking that I was kind of static and the trees were moving. Uh, uh, my brain, um, I was not thinking actually in terms of racing. I was thinking in terms of what I was doing. And I know it's gonna sound super weird, but that's that's the truth. That I was uh, uh, actually sweeping the trail. <laughs> I was just like 
and that it was like kind of a, a you know shitty job yeah. of just being out to sweep the trail. You're the trail janitor cleaning up for everybody else coming behind so you or something. That was just, and that it was kind of stupid to go through this much to push myself so far just to sweep the trail, and that was better <laughs> off just you know going to sleep. Uh-huh. And that was there's all sorts of weird stuff that happens to your brain uh, when you don't sleep. I, I have the hallucinations sometimes, like when I go two days without sleep, the third day that I'm awake, I do have hallucinations, even though it didn't happen this year on the Tour Divide, but it happened, definitely happened in Italy, and it happened on, on, 20, on the 2016 Tour Divide. But this, this felt like some kind of, you know, next-level hallucination where I was not really aware of what I was doing. Not really aware that I was cycling and and yeah. It was, how how it was did you get out of that? <clears throat> I mean, did you did it finally just go away? It wore off, or did you sleep, or what? It's, it's no. As soon as I got out of that forest and the and the just the scenery changed, right? I was able to just step out of that kind of weird weird state that I was in, and and that's when I got to the to the bike path, and it was just. When I was to the bike in the bike path, it was just sleeping ass. It was just regular sleeping ass, and just regular trying to fight it, and and yeah, kind of losing bits of what was happening at that time. Yeah, well, as a fan of the race, um, watching well, watching the whole race uh, still is is fascinating. But when you were pushing the front at the very beginning without sleeping, it was fucking awesome like as a fan and so watching the dots and i'm googling like who is this guy you know and uh it was dude i would i was staying up to like three or four o'clock in the morning and i, I would like you're you never stop and then i would go to bed and wake up and then sure i'm like that motherfucker didn't sleep again he's still going you did that for like three days i was like Fuck. and i was just thinking about like all the other shit i've been doing like working or going like i'm like this whole time he's just been riding his bike no sleep no nothing i mean it's 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 impressive yeah i haven't i haven't I, i'm curious to to crunch the numbers at some point but i know that i went like 62 hours without sleep right. from bam elena it's Banff to Helena in one go, not even a single power nap. And uh, I think the whole the whole way, I probably popped like two caffeine pills, like probably the second night, at the beginning of the second night, when I thought, wow, I still have a whole night to go, and this is going to be tricky. I'm going to need a little bit of caffeine. And... Uh, because you know, some people think that I'm just you know popping caffeine pills all the time to stay yeah. awake. I try to, I try actually to not to do it as much, right? Because my 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 goal was my goal was and still is in these races that if if you start popping caffeine pills like it's nothing, then by the time you get to the second week, it's gonna have absolutely no effect at all, right? Right. My goal is to be like really. For me, it's supposed to be a last resort. Like if if I'm if I get sleepy when it's only eleven p.m., I'm like, okay, this is gonna be a long night. I might just get some caffeine. Um, but yeah, I try I, to do it. I think that's you know, smart. That do you much. do you know Tom Hughes by chance? 
Nope, I don't. Okay, well, he's an, he's another ultra endurance racer. He he came on the show before, and he was telling me that he doesn't uh, drink caffeine ever unless he's on a yep. race. So he's he like yep. trained his body. Well, I mean, he just deprived his body of caffeine and uses it a tool, much like what you're doing. Sounds yeah, that's what I sounds I, more I, effective. I, yeah, I stopped drinking caffeine like about three months ago. I just right. quit caffeine so that. If I'm out there and I need to go without sleep, the, the, the caffeine is going to have a greater impact on my body. Right. And, and it's not, but I mean, there are several tools that you can use. There are several techniques that you can use. I know, I mean, I've been racing these races for about four years now. So I've, I've kind of find stuff that works. I know that I'm going to get sleepy in the morning around, eight nine or ten a.m you know when it starts to warm up yeah uh, i know that i'm gonna get sleepy at this point and i know that if i manage to fight it it's not gonna come back um the the the, the sleepiness that's really hard to fight is the one that sets in at the at the end of a really long day like when i was making my way to pinedale on that really long straight line that is paved that's when it's really hard to fight the sleepiness, actually. Um, I find that in, in, in off-road races, if you're going at it hard, climbing a pass, hiking your bike, uh, it's so hard that you're actually not going to get sleepy. The, the, the hard part is going to be like when you get to pavement and it's just flat and you get in the arrow bars. And now is the time where it's going to be so hard to fight the sleepiness. Right. And these are things that you actually can do that sounds kind of silly, but sometimes just singing out loud, it's, it's just a, a great way to wake you up when you feel like, um, I did it uh, when I was riding uh, in the Tetons. I felt like, because it's, it's just paved, you know, and it's uh, not much happening except for all the cars passing you. And it's definitely a place where you have to be super focused, super aware of what's going on because you want to stay, you know, on the right side of the road as much as possible <laughs> because there's a lot of traffic. So it's is that really... weird for you being on the right side? Uh, no, no, I'm from France, so that's the same side. Oh, okay. <laughs> My bad. But no, no, it's just that sometimes when you get sleepy, you kind of you know, gets sleepy and sloppy and you're not oh, as yeah. focused. So, yeah, it's, it's really important when you're on that road to, to stay focused. And, and I, when I noticed that I was, you know, just in the arrow bars and getting really sleepy and kind of losing my focus, I just, you know, I listen to music when I ride. <clears throat> Sorry, I listen to music when I ride and I was just, you know, trying to find a song that would wake me up and, and I... I actually found some kind of corny French song and I started just singing out loud uh-huh. and, and it worked perfectly. And then after that song, I was just, I was just awake and I, and I managed to keep going and yeah, there's just some stuff that, that you, that work from, I guess for some people when you get really sleepy, like sometimes just, just stop, check your phone, see what's going on. If you have reception, that's nice. You can send a couple of messages and it's just, what you need to do is just get out of just being on the bike, pedaling in the hour bars, straight line, really hard to do something else that falls asleep. 
But yeah, with the experience um, of these kind of situations, you find ways that you can fight it. Right. Um, how is how is your body feeling now? So you're about four and a half days after scratching from the race. How how is your body feeling? I'm super tired. I am like super tired. Like I took a nap today, like an hour long nap. I was exhausted <laughs> just from doing nothing. And yeah, around 4 p.m. I was like, okay, I'm just going to nap. And uh, woke up like an hour, an hour and a half later. And yeah, I, I went for a ride like a couple of days ago. And actually something weird happened is uh, when I stopped cycling, my left Achilles started hurt, hurting really bad. Like really, really bad. Like hurting like it never hurt before. And um, yeah, I I just could limp. I mean, while I was racing, my Achilles were fine. And after I stopped racing, yeah, it started hurting. I could I could just limp. And then I went on this bike ride like 70 miles. And since then, it's, it's been like way better. What about your saddle sores? Um, I have to say that I don't have a big saddle sores troubles usually on these races. Wow. I'm... I'm uh, I'm, uh, I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's, uh, just the long hours that I spent on the saddle or just the good shorts and the good saddle, but, um, definitely I, I, my ass, I mean, once or twice a day when I'm on these races, I'm like, okay, I'm done. I can't sit anymore. This is, this is the end. But it's like every time when I'm on these, on these races, I'm going to, I know I'm going to reach this point once a day where i'm like this is this is over this is there is no way i can sit on my ass anymore but once i reach this point it gets better hmm. which is kind of weird like i just i just stop worrying about it and and then i'm like wow i i completely forgot about it but like a couple hours ago I was pretty sure that i could not sit on my ass anymore and here i am sitting on my ass that's weird but yeah, my ass was good yeah not, awesome. not, not much a, chafing, not saddle sore, so that's always amazing. fine. So going back to the race, uh, at what point did you know that you were tracking down Mike Hall's record, and what was that like for you being out there and touching his flag and passing it? So when I went to Ovando, I hadn't checked the tracker a lot. Uh by the time I got to Ovando, but I went, I got to Ovando and and and, so, and the and Kathy that is uh, that take the picture of the racers there told me you're ahead of the record. Wow! And this is when I this is when I knew I was ahead of the record, but I had no idea what the margin was. And then she told me, "Well, uh, you're ahead of the record." And in 2016, Mike stopped here for like an hour. And just stop for 10 minutes. So you're going to be even more ahead of the record. And, um, and I knew that I knew that in uh, 2016, Mike had spent his first, first night indoors at uh, High Country. And I knew that he stayed like seven or eight hours. Maybe not eight, but at least seven hours. And I knew that he had, had trouble because... I showed up like 24 hours after Mike at High Country in 2016, 
and and Russ, the owner, told us that it was like his, his first good night of sleep because he had troubles before that with the wet sleeping bag and couldn't really get any sleep outside of Lincoln. So I knew, I just knew that I was doing good. I was uh, faster than Mike into Lincoln and um, no into Ovando and out of Ovando. Um, and I, yeah, I knew that he would spend the night in, in Lincoln and I spent it in Helena. So yeah, that's about that time that I, I knew that I was ahead. And then when I got to, when I got to Flag Ranch, I knew that I was like five hours ahead, wow. which seemed absolutely crazy. It was crazy, man. It, it, it is absolutely crazy. I mean, people watching at home and I'm sure for you, I mean, it's like, our minds are exploding, you know, watching it go down. What was it like for you? Um, I, I was, it was weird because I knew that it was, it was supposed to be a slow year. Um, I was not chasing the record, but then when you get five hours ahead of the record, it's really hard not to think about it. Yeah. You kind of think about it. And, I knew there was a ton of snow in Colorado, so I was like, okay, you don't need, you don't think, think of it like day by day. Um, I was trying at first to see how the snow situation was in Montana, uh, no, in Wyoming, actually. I knew that Togodi uh, would have a bit of snow, and I was kind of wondering if it was like a lot of snow or just a little bit of snow, and I know that Union Pass was probably going to have a bit of snow as well. So I was just trying to see how it was, it was going day by day and try not too much to think about it. And I was definitely thinking way more about keeping Josh Cato at bay. You know, trying, <laughs> I had to open up a gap. And what I was really worried about is Josh Cato closing the gap. But I knew it was, it was way too soon to think about that record because of all the snow that had fallen in Colorado. Right. So you try to keep it in perspective and not, yeah, that's got to be tough to know that you're beating the record. I mean, what I would do and probably what you were doing is just try to extend as much as you can because you know you're going to hit the snow and then it's like, see what happens. I mean, that's the best you can do. Yeah, it was, it was kind of weird actually. When I, when I came to this tour divide, my goal was to win. And I was like, if I come, and if I win it, I'm probably going to be done with this race because it's, it's, it's just the story of, of the Tour Divide in me. Well, I, I first toured it in 2014, and after touring it, I'm like, I need to race it. And then I raced it in 2016, finished third, and I was like, okay, I need to come back because I need to win it. And then I was like ahead of Josh, ahead of the record, and I knew at that point that I would have to come back to break the record. I knew that even if I won, it wouldn't be enough. Even if I, like, just stayed ahead of Josh Cato and went all the way to Antelope Wells, hiked through all the snow and finished in, I don't know, 15 days or whatever, I knew that, like, at some point, being ahead of Mike's record, for me, meant having to come back. And yeah. this is also part of the reason why... I guess I dropped out, and part of the reason why it's really not a big deal for me to drop out. Because at some point during the race, you went from wanting to win to realizing that you had the potential ability to beat Mike Hall's record, and 
wanted you had exactly. a new goal you 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 came up with a new goal yeah. at some point on the race yeah and it's it's just it's just so hard like after what happened up up the pass uh when i got lost in the snow it's just so hard to to muster the energy to go back out out there just to finish and, and maybe grab a, a fifth place or fourth place and i don't know how many days when when there's something that seems like so big out there that that i feel like it i can that is in my reach i feel like i can grasp it and it's just it's just impossible to to get the motivation to go back just for this yeah finishing again after have after having finishing once it's just well you toured it once finished once you feel like you've been there you've done that and now you have new goals that you want to set out on. Yeah, I know I'm going to obsess over this. I know. I mean, right now the dust hasn't really settled, but I know that once I come back home, I'm just going to crunch the numbers. I'm just going to see, um, you know, what went wrong in the first few days, the setbacks that I had, how much time I can I can I can still shave off what I what I did because I. I can actually shave off some time of what I did. I can I probably can shave off a couple of hours because there's some some choices that I made that were not that were not the best. And yeah, I'm just gonna go home, crunch some numbers, go over my uh, go over my gear again, <clears throat> see if I can uh, see if I can get some even lighter gear and and be even faster and 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 yeah. And then I'm just gonna think about it, and just gonna wait for that perfect year when there's not, you know, not too much snow, and 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 I can hopefully get out there and get the perfect conditions that we had in 2016, and and give it an give it another go. Awesome. And it's 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 really hard because, I mean, obviously I'm from Europe, and I have to, you know, make a decision at some point to book a ticket, and. Uh, you know, the later I book the ticket, the, the mm-hmm. more expensive it's going to yeah. be. Yeah, so uh, I have, yeah, at some point to make the decision to book a ticket and to commit to say, okay, this is the year where I'm going to race to Florida and trying to break that record. But there's no, there's no breaking the record if Mother Nature doesn't want you to. No. Well, there's, there's no, a lot of people not... that are going to be really happy to hear that you're coming back. I, uh, I sent, I, uh, allowed all my patrons to ask questions. I told them that you were going to be uh, coming on for an interview. And the number one question I got is, are you coming back? Um, so people oh. definitely want to see you come back and, and give it another shot for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely coming back. It's just impossible for me to leave it like this. Good. It's just impossible. Yeah, you put on a hell of a like, show, man. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I, rest, I rest Mike. I raced, in, I raced in 2016. I was, I was just a rookie that year, and it was light years ahead, definitely light years ahead. And I feel like it's just so awesome that I could come back, and and, and you know, race this flag, and, and and just see how far I've come. Yeah. From uh, from being just this rookie and just being in uh an I remember that when I was out there in 2016, I was just in absolute awe of what it was doing, and I was wondering how a human could be so tough 
to do what he was doing and just being, you know, out there by himself all the time. In 2016, I was miserable pretty much all the time. <laughs> it's, it's a really hard race. And when yeah. you do it in days, it's even harder. And a lot, a lot of times, whenever I would see another rider, I would just be so relieved to have some company because, you know, it's just, it's just so hard to be out, out there by yourself, you know, alone. And, and I was like, I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he's been. I mean, like, he pulled away on day one. And he's been by himself all this time, just alone on the trail and, and just, you know, going at it every day for, I don't know, 18 hours and stuff like that. And, and I was really in admiration for this dude. Well, you got a taste of that this year. Yeah. Well, yeah. So now what, what, I mean, you went from admiring him and being in awe of him and questioning how it's possible to seeing how it's possible i mean you showed yourself that it's possible so yeah well i mean what is what does that mean to you it's it's i don't really realize it still um obviously i i am i'm a competitive guy when i show up for a race it's 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 to win it but it's just that mike was such a legend Mike was such a, you know, it was the, the, the figure of the sport. And, I mean, I feel like I'm just a regular dude, you know. Yeah. <laughs> just to be able to, to, you know, touch that flag, it feels feels unreal, actually. And uh, That's this what is I why I was not Go ahead. thinking about it too much. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, that's one thing I love about this sport is that, a regular guy can just gut himself a hundred percent and go see what you're made of. And maybe you'll touch the flag, you know, I mean, anything yeah. is possible. Anyone, anyone can do it. Uh, I, and I love that about this sport. I mean, you went from touring to racing to coming back and, and challenging the record. Um, now that with the knowledge that you can come back and give it another shot and you think you can do it. I mean, that's pretty, that's an amazing testament to what humans are capable of. And you call yourself just a regular guy, but yeah, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, it, it, what was funny is that uh, on day one, I was, I was talking with some people and, and, and obviously given the, the really strong lineup that we had this year, there were talks uh, about the record and I was like, I don't see who could beat Mark's record this year. I was like, maybe Josh Cato can do it because he's the one who came the closest. Yeah, in in twenty fifteen. So he was on the he was on the lips of a lot of people as someone that could give it a shot for sure. And I was like, maybe he could do it, but I'm not even sure because the 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 Canada part is not slower, and that was that was something that I felt was a big deal. It's like. Even if you go really hard, you're still gonna have uh, still gonna cross the border later than Mike did, because you know Mike didn't have to go up Coco Claims and 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 that makes a big difference. And and it's just not that Coco Claims is is gonna slow you down. It's just gonna it's, it's gonna suck up a lot of energy as well. Right. Yeah. So it felt like yeah, I was talking about it and it was like I don't think that that. 
now that the course has changed and that the course is slower, I don't think that that record can be can be broken. But yeah, that was that was kind of kind of funny when I think about it now. So knowing everything that we've talked about, let's talk about that night where you got lost and your GPSs both failed. And I mean, I read your post on Facebook. I'm sure a lot of people did, but I'd love to hear the story of, of that night and what actually happened and how hard it was for you. I mean, you knew that you were freaking in the lead, you know, and you, you had to make that decision to pull it. So what was, yeah, just take us through that night. Yeah. So I'm going to start actually a little before that, Please do. Uh, uh, spending the night in the warm Sutter, uh, it had rained the night before and going out of warm Sutter, I had to deal with a lot of mud actually. It was, it was a beautiful day. The sun was shining, but the road was still muddy. And my theory about what happened is that I had to struggle with a lot of mud, but by the time Josh got here, it has started to dry out and it was able to cover ground uh, faster than, than I was. Uh, anyway, that's my theory. I'm not saying that's what happened. But by the time I made it to Brush Mountain Lodge, it was like six miles away. From, from I don't know, probably 40 miles when the last time I, I had checked the tracker. So I started kind of panicking, actually. Mm. I was like, he's closing the gap. I don't know what's happening. It's probably the mud. But I need to keep moving. And so I think it was around 5 p.m. when I left Brush Mountain. And I was in this, you know, panicky mode that I have to keep going, probably going to have to keep going all night just to try and, and get some air, you know, get get that gap to, to, to be big again. Yeah. So it was pretty muddy outside of, mountain, of Brush Mountain. And we were probably, Josh and I, uh, riding or actually pushing our bikes at two miles per hour, maybe three, not not more. And um, it took us quite a bit of time to get to the the root national forest when the last part of the climb actually happens and when it's not muddy anymore. And um, yeah, by the time I uh, I hit the snow, it was dark. It was probably ten. And I had to push the bike for a long time. The snow was really deep. The snow was okay at first. But I would say that after an hour of pushing the bike in, in rather shallow snow, it got really, really deep. And I started exerting a lot of energy to go through that. I was, I was post-holing. Um, and I was okay finding the trail going up. Um, and I managed to get all the way to the top. I think it was around 1 a.m. at that time. And then I lost the track. I couldn't see it anymore. Um, after being able to see it all the way to the top, I just I just tried and followed the line on my... I have two GPS, and they were working. They, were, they, had, they had battery and stuff. And I was just trying to navigate with the GPS. But I think that the... the the file that I had was not accurate enough. And I was standing right on the line on my GPS and all I could see was trees. I couldn't see any trail. Hmm. And then on my left, I could see a big wide open space. 
And I was like, okay, I'm going to have to somehow find the trail without the help of the GPS because, because the file is not accurate enough. And I started to go in one, di- in one direction and I could, I could see that it, I could see that I would be, I would have to go down. So I would start, I would start to go down and couldn't find any trail. Like after that big wide open space, I hit some trees and I tried, I think three different directions. Were you traversing with your bike this whole time or did you leave your bike and then just go in search of the trail? Yeah, sometimes, sometimes I was just smart enough to leave the bike somewhere and just, just walk. Yeah. And sometimes I was, I was, I was dumb enough to just walk <laughs> with the bike but yeah what you have what the, the listeners have to understand is that i was doing this uh in bike shoes and this and the snow was sometimes waist deep so it's not like you you can go you know really far to see where the trail is at some point you, you kind of in desperation mode when you've made you know such little way in about 10 15 minutes and you feel like you're not finding the trail just having to go back and then try another way and then another way and after a lot probably an hour of doing this i was like i just i just can't find it and it's getting really cold up there and i'm exerting way too much energy trying to find it and and i'm exhausted and my my Gloves were wet, and my shoes were wet, and I was like, okay. I, I think I, I read that you didn't have the right gear to be in those temperatures at that altitude and all that. Is that right? I'm pretty sure that nobody has the right gear to do that <laughs> on, this, on this race. Okay, fair enough. I'm pretty sure that, I'm pretty sure that everybody's wearing bike shoes, which is definitely not the kind of shoes True. that you want to you want to use to to uh to walk in snow and and i'm pretty i mean i had i had some decent gear you know i had rain pants i had a nice rain jacket and even my 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 socks are supposed to be waterproof and my my gloves are supposed to be waterproof as well so i was definitely uh for a guy that is riding his bike that is just riding his bike uh, yeah, that's pretty much as, as, as good as it gets, you know, because I'm, I'm definitely not a hiker. I don't have the, 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 the equipment that these guys have to, to spend the night up a pass trying to find your way. And that's yeah, what I meant, like trying- the, your sleeping equipment, your sleeping bag, your puffy, all that stuff. Like you, you didn't have that type of gear to be able to spend a night up there. No, not really, actually. And, and, and I talked. I talked about this with uh, Evan Dutch because uh, we have like the same sleeping bag, and it's like forty-five degrees Fahrenheit. So, yeah, you're not you're not gonna die up there, but it's gonna be pretty uncomfortable just to be in a forty-five degrees sleeping bag when it's uh, below freezing. Yeah, but uh, it's choices that you make for these races where you you. You kind of make the choice at some point to say, okay, um, here's my sleeping bag. It's 45 degrees, which means that if I have to bivy, I'm going to need shelter. And it does make sense. And the thing is that I was not really ready to get lost up a snowy pass at 2 a.m. 
and this is the kind of stuff I was not prepared for. Right. Uh, does not mean that I was not pre- prepared for the Tour Divide. I mean, Josh, Josh was actually smarter than I was because he camped at lower altitude. But I was just actually worried that it was going to catch me, which is why I made the decision to keep pushing. And um, it's, it's, it's definitely something that was not smart. Um, but so yeah, it seems like I was, if you maybe, I mean, if you could go and do it again, would you stay at Brushy Mountain, let Josh pass you, and then go back whenever? I mean, there, there's no way to know. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. You were in a race. Josh was coming up on you, and your job as the front of the race is to go, 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 and that's that's what you did. Yeah, you had yeah, no idea yeah, what the I, conditions were going to be like up there. I I would I would not if I were to do it again. I would not stay at Brush Mountain because I was there. I was definitely there at five p.m., which is way too early to stop. Right. I mean, if you hit something around eight p.m., you can think of okay. I'm going to stop here because I don't want to tackle that pass at night. But no, 5 p.m. is just, I should have done what, what, what Josh did actually, which would, which would have been just camp at lower altitude, not in the snow. I mean, I, I probably would have been fine just camping before the snow because what got me really cold is that the only ground where I could camp on was snow. And this is what, this is why I, w- I, I was shivering in my sleeping bag. It's because my sleeping bag was on uh, an emergency blanket, and the emergency blanket was on the snow. So there was not much insulation from that snow, and this is why I got so cold. And probably if I had camped at lower altitude before the snow, somewhere under the trees, I would have been fine. But, you know, it's, 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 it's just tough to make the, the right decision when you have some guy that is chasing you that you know is... Is super fast and 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 you just wanna you just wanna get rid of him actually. <laughs> what is it so like yeah, to... Just, just to finish the story of what happened? Yeah, that yeah. Night. After, after you know knowing that I could not find the trail, I was like, okay, I I got real scared. I have to say, I was really scared because it was it was it started snowing. I was really cold. It was getting kind of foggy. Uh, I knew that steamboat was pretty far i knew that brush mountain was pretty far and the road was super muddy so i knew that i was by myself and nobody was gonna get me and i had to survive by myself so i was like okay uh i'm just gonna i was actually i was hoping for josh to show up Mm. so i got my sleeping bag it was like it was just it was just like an hour away when i was at brush mountain lodge so Maybe maybe push through is gonna show up. We're gonna be able to navigate this, the both of us, and and then we're just gonna go. So I went into my sleeping bag, kind of hoping that Josh would show up. And after a couple hours in the sleeping bag, started shivering, and I was like, okay, this is not good. I just can't stay here and shiver in my sleeping bag. It's four a.m., so it's gonna be like another hour before sunlight, maybe an hour and a half. So it's just too long to be staying in the sleeping bag shivering. Apothermia is going to set in. It's not going to be good. So this one, it's, I decided that I had to keep moving. And the only way that I could keep moving safely was to backtrack. Because keeping moving and trying to find the trail was just not safe. Right. So what was that uh, ride back? Uh, yeah, then the fear. 
the fear is is actually a big factor. Like I got so scared that I kind of give up in my head. I was like, okay, this 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 is going too far. This race right here is going too far. I'm 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 not willing to die for this. And this is this is the time when I kind of give up. And it's just hard to come back from giving up, actually. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like you made the right decision. There's lots of stories of people who put themselves in, in tough conditions and they don't make the right decision. It can be hard <clears throat> after leading the race for... How many days were, were you leading? Eight days. Eight days. You were at mile 1,500. And you were... You, you know... it there were so many things going well for you that it had to have been terribly hard to, to stop, but to be able to recognize that you're in a potentially life threatening situation shows some intelligence on your part. I think to be able to put all those things, all your hopes and your dreams for what this tour divide was going to be and say, no, I need to, I need to protect myself so I can come back again another year and do it. I mean, I, I'd rather you do that personally on a personal level. I'd rather see you do that than put yourself in a, in a bad situation and it, and it go a bad way, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's just a, it's just a back ride. There's no point in, in, in just risking your life for it. It, I mean, the tour divide happens every year. Yeah, uh, it's, it's just, just a, a bike ride, but it's a big, it's a big deal. <laughs> it, is, it is, but I mean, but it's still a bike ride. It's just survival instinct, you know, survival yeah. instinct where you're like, okay, I really want to win this, but I'm definitely not going to win it if I'm dead. <laughs> That's true. Oh. It, was that? Is that the hardest or scariest point you've put yourself in in a race, or you know, was that kind of the hardest situation you've been in so far? I would say it's close. Um, yeah, yeah, probably. I, I was I, I was quite in distress in 2016 on the Bannock Road when it started snowing, but I was not as scared because there was two of us, hmm. which is. Totally different situation. I was with a, a, a Tour Divide veteran and and also Iditarod Trailimentational veteran called Andrew Kolmatiski from Utah. And I was like, okay, this is this is not good. We do not have the gear to do this. It has started to snow. We're going apothermic. But at least I'm with this guy that knows all about it. So I was not as worried as being out there by myself right? Uh, in the snow. And, and I mean, I've been in some situations, especially on long tours, because I, I do a lot of bike touring. And I've been on, in some situations where I was kind of afraid of stuff. But yeah, yeah, I still have the, the, the image of, of the top of that pass. I was kind of spinning, looking at all the directions that was possible. And there was definitely a point when after trying to find the, the trail for, a lot, for like about an hour, well, I was like, okay, now this is not good. This is scary. Yeah. 
I wanted to shift gears a little bit, and uh, I'm curious if you've taught, if you've been following any of the uh, social media drama that has been going on. Uh, some of it yeah. about you, some of it about other uh, racers on the tour. Uh, are you interested in addressing any of those things just for fun? Oh yeah, why not? Yeah, you seem sure. like a guy that doesn't take things too seriously, uh, other than racing. Uh uh, which I can I can appreciate. I mean, I I agree with you. It's just riding bikes. It's fun. I think people yeah. take it too seriously sometimes. Um, so let's let's talk about the no helmet. Yeah, uh, let's talk about the no helmet. A lot of people seem worried about that. I yeah. do not have a helmet. I have logged like close to a hundred thousand miles on Strava in the last five years, and none of them were with a helmet. Um, I just don't feel unsafe when I'm riding my bike. I just don't feel like I'm going to crash and hit my head. And I just don't feel like I need a helmet. And that's pretty much it. And what I like about that is that I do not talk to people about their helmets. I'm not like telling people that wear helmets. Like, dude, why do you wear a helmet? I don't. Because when I fall off my bike, I don't hit my head. (laughs) I'm pretty sure you shouldn't wear one because if when I fall off my bike, I don't hit my head, I'm probably sure it's going to be the same for you. But like for some reason, the people that do not wear helmets, well, they just don't talk about helmets and they don't, you know, try and force uh, the way they ride to onto other people. But the people, there's people out there that wear helmets and they're going to be like, it feels like it's some kind of crime, actually. Right. It's, it's almost criminal for you to be out there without a helmet. But I have to say that, first off, yeah, it's not like I never crash. I crash sometimes, but I usually crash at low speed. And I kind of think that I know how to fall off my bike so that I don't hit my head. Right. And... Like, also, most of the danger that comes from riding bikes, sadly, comes from the cars. Well, a helmet is not going to do you any good. I mean, it's really sad, but we've seen it. We've seen it that you can wear a helmet and then you're just going to get knocked over by a car or you're going to ride straight into a car. And then this, yeah. I'm... Curious about this one because people have been talking about it on social media, and I want to give you an, an opportunity to address it because I think that you're right. And uh, also, my buddy and I were having this conversation last night, and I have I've been riding my bike since I was four years old. I'm 39, so that's 35 years. I have never hit my head while riding a bicycle, yeah. falling never. I I do wear a helmet. I but I also acknowledge the fact that like. I know I fall all the time. You know how to fall. I mean, as humans, our instinct, the first thing we do is we protect our head. You know, we put our hands down, we cover our head, whatever it is. But I, you know, on on uh, Facebook, there was a thread about you and the no helmet thing. And my comment, I my comment was simple. It was, it's his head, it's his choice, period. You know, if you want to wear a helmet or if you don't want to wear a helmet, it's up to you. And it shouldn't be... For other people to make you feel like a criminal to not wear one, I, I think, at least, you know? 
Yeah, for sure. And I just don't don't understand why people are, you know, want to force these kind of choices on you. I mean, I would like to meet these people because probably there's a good chance they haven't biked as much as I have. Right. Even if they're 50, right. there's a good chance they haven't, they haven't logged the miles I have logged over the years. And it, it's not that I'm, like, completely oblivious of, of safety. I mean, obviously, whenever I ride, uh, when I, I'm, like, super cautious going downhill. I'm like, Fleecer Ridge, I walked it. Uh. I, yeah, I walked it because I was like, okay, this is sketchy. I could ride it and be like five to ten minutes faster, or I could walk it and be like absolutely safe, and I walked it. I'm not, I'm not just some kind of crazy dude that, that just doesn't care about his safety. It's just that for me, I look at stuff, I look at the way stuff are, I look at the fact that I have never, ever crashed and it hit my head, and it seems kind of silly to protect it. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, no, I'm, I don't like. I still like the way a helmet feels on my head, and I like to wear my baseball hat because I like the fact that it shades me from the sun and protects me from the rain, and and it, it just feels weird not to wear it when I whenever I'm cycling. So, have you always not worn a helmet, or at some point did you? What's that? I have never. I mean, uh, on some races, I have been. Uh, you know. It's it's mandatory on some races, so I do I do wear one, but when I go on long tours, I just take my baseball hat and uh, ride on, you know. Right, right. Well, good. I'm. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm happy to put that out there. I'm I'm personally tired of social media internet warriors, uh, just talking shit. You know, it doesn't yeah. do any it doesn't do any good. Whether you're wearing a helmet or not, it's your choice. Um, you're out there riding your bike. You're doing it the way that you want to. There's no one right way to do it, right? There's no one right, right way to tackle the tour divide, to ride your bike, to pack your bike, to wear a helmet, to not. It's all the same thing. It's your choice how you want to do that. Seems like it's 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 getting way out of hands. Like I grew up. Uh, Obviously, watching the Tour de France because that's what we French people do, and and actually a lot of people all over the world watch that. And I grew up watching these guys, and I remember remember like uh, Marco Pontani and and like this guy. Do you remember this guy with a helmet? Definitely not. Like when you when you think about these legends of the Tour de France, uh, uh, Marco Pontani, Miguel and Duran, and stuff like that. The, the guys that were riding when I was a kid and I was watching the race, there was like no helmet at that point. Like it happened, it happened uh, a few years later when the Fabio Cazartelli uh, crashed and 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 died, and then they were like, "Okay, we're going to have helmets on the on the pro race now." But still, still, you have people dying in, in, in pro races despite the helmet. Because when you go down the hill at 50 miles per hour and you crash and you hit your head, well, man, that little piece of plastic on your head is not going to do much. Right. Well, there are a lot of people with a lot of opinions, and I wanted to give you an opportunity to share yours because, you know, there's a lot of people throwing around stuff, so I wanted you to be able to get your voice out there. All right, another one, a little more controversial. Um 
So I did you read that some people were uh, what's the right word? Just they were calling you arrogant for saying that you can beat Mike Hall's record, that you know that it's obtainable. Did you read any of that? Absolutely not. What do you think about that? How is it arrogant? I don't. I, I don't I'm, see the there. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm not trying to start controversy. All I want to do is give you an opportunity to uh, to defend that because there's people on the internet going and saying, "Oh, he's cocky for thinking that he can beat Mike Hall's record." So I, you know, I want to give you an opportunity to. I was like five hours ahead of that record, even though I lost like an hour on day one due to navigation problems, and. So and then and then I lost like some more time on on Brooks Lake Road Union Pass, and also I did the route in 2016, uh, and my my calculations were that at my pace compared to my my pace this year compared to my pace in 2016, I would make it to Salida with uh, 20, 48 hours faster if I kept this pace. I would be in slide that 48 hours faster than my 2016 run, which would mean that I would be on a 14-day pace. Exactly. I mean, not not that I would be on a 14-day pace, but if I made it to slide 48 hours faster than my previous run, then I would just have to go as fast as I was from slide to the border in 2016. And I'm definitely stronger than 2016 i right. i definitely had a lot of shit that i had to deal with in 2016 as far as charging my gps as far as navigating at night was just a headlamp that i bought in a hardware store and as far as you know just just uh not knowing how to deal with lack of sleep and and uh also you know Headwind and uh, headwind in the reservation between uh, Cuba and Grants. So it seems. I mean, for me, I, I feel like with perfect conditions, I can I can like shave another hour of that record. Get get to get probably to Brush Mountain six hours ahead of the record, and keep going. And then it's just not far fetched to think that I can get to Salida. 48 hours faster than I did in 2016. And and then from then, it's just a matter of shaving a couple of hours of a run that was really not that great. Like in New Mexico, my, my New Mexico run in 2016 was, yeah, it was just barely okay. But I remember that when I was, um, when I was actually in Salida, uh, so I was at the bottom of Marshall Pass. Chris Plesko, who finished second, was uh, on the other side of Marshall Pass, and I was like, "Oh yeah, it's it's just there's just one pass between us. Maybe I can catch him." And like he he blasted through New Mexico, and I never caught him. So mm. yeah, I think if I can just get Salida 48 hours faster. And and then try and and, and take a a page out of uh, Chris Plesbo's book and and be fast to <laughs> New Mexico. I, I don't see how it's not. Uh, yeah, it seems it seems definitely seems doable. Right. And and 
So I talked to Bill Rice about it um, because I seem to remember, don't take my word for it, but it's definitely a possibility that in 2016, Chris Blesco was actually faster through New Mexico than Mike Hall. And I talk, talked about it with Bill Rice. And Bill Rice told me that actually in 2016, Mike Hall was not feeling that well to New Mexico, that it was kind of sick. And like, if I can get to, yeah, Salida that fast, and then why not, you know, be faster than Mike to New Mexico? It, just, it really doesn't seem far-fetched. And, and I would say that if you start, if you start talking about the record before the race and before you actually touch that flag, before you actually raced five hours ahead of that flag and you start talking about that record, that can be arrogance. But how is it arrogant to talk about the record when, when you've, you know, been five hours ahead of it? Well said, man. It's just, what, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to say, yeah, yeah, I was I was I was ahead of it, but it was a fluke. I can't do it. <laughs> I was I was just I don't know. I had tailwind all the way to Brush Mountain, and and you know some of these passes they shaved the top off, so that was easier for me. And no, it's just it seems it would seems actually really weird not to talk about that record after what what just happened. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. I, I'm glad. I'm. I, I appreciate your perspective and i'm glad you had a chance to talk about it because as a person who was just sitting on the couch watching um a lot of people wondered about that mike hall record is it ever gonna is it gonna stand i mean records usually come down eventually but how long is it gonna be there and yeah. when i saw you surpassing his flag i'm like holy shit it's possible and this guy is proving that it's possible i mean that's what it that's what it showed me. So I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I saw some of those comments and I personally didn't care for them. I mean, it's, it's, it's disrespectful to you who was out there gutting yourself and putting yourself 100% in and putting yourself in a position where you'd be ahead of Mike Hall. And I, I'm a big Mike Hall fan. It's not, you know, I mean, we all are. Like you said, he was the face of the sport, you know, I mean, Anyone who loves a sport knows who Mike All is and, and loves and admires him and misses him. But the fact is, is that you you were ahead of Mike Hall's pace. I mean, that's just a fact. And so I, I didn't care for those comments too much. Go ahead. Yeah, it, it's a fact. So actually, yeah, I think it's rather funny. I mean, I'd rather laugh about it than be pissed off about it. Good. But how is that? <laughs> arrogant i i really don't see like when you've been that and and yeah when you've been five hours ahead of the record well definitely it means that you can beat it yep i don't see how with the same conditions like if i have the same conditions in my call why would i just slow down that much that it would be impossible to beat good answer i and, agree and, and, and it's 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 something that is fairly well known. Also, that Mike would would start super fast to open up a gap and then try to hold on to it, and and so I think he probably had a better first half of the race than he had a second. And so yeah, I just don't understand why people would say that. 
You, you honestly, I don't either. Um, but one thing I like about doing a podcast is giving people like you an opportunity to, you know, address stupid shit that people say yeah. or uninformed things. I won't say stupid. I mean, it's just uninformed, you know, I mean, they're not out there. They don't understand the conditions. If I may address some of the stuff that actually bothered me about what people were saying on the internet, please. Um, some people, some people were saying that it's not, you should not drop out of a race because you know, you can't win. And you know you can't beat the record. That's not the spirit of the sport. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that helps the sport moving forward. And I would like to address these people. I would like to tell them that they have absolutely no idea what it takes to get to the, to the pointy end of these races, to get ahead of max time, to push yourself that far and it takes a real toll on the body i mean you are we are just trying our bodies out there it's, it takes months to recover from that and so they're talking about lel they're talking about me they're talking about the fact that you know we drop out because our our goal is out of reach well first off we do as we damn please preach this yes. is all right. So we do as we damn please. And second, you are not out there destroying your body. You are not out there with your knees that are sore, with your Achilles that are sore, with your butt that hurts every day, with just being sleep deprived for days on end and hallucinating. You are not the one that is out there doing that. And then these people want me just to go back at it for their entertainment, even <laughs> though it would mean for me just to, you know, see Breckenridge and Del Norte a, a third time and, and, and check out that border a third time just for the fun of it. I'm not, I'm not doing it for the fun of it. I'm, I'm training my ass off and I'm spending my own money that I work to earn. I'm spending it to come here, be competitive. I have a goal. Well, if it's out of reach, I'm just not going to keep going. I don't care what you think about what the, what the spirit of bikepacking is. It's, it's, it's not you that decide what the spirit is. I mean, yeah. what about you talking about some people talk about moving the sport forward? Isn't like trying to break the record and trying to win helping the sport moving forward? Isn't it like, like what it's all about? It's one I mean, of the ways. Having, yeah, it's definitely one of the ways. And you can't ask people just to, to keep going for the fun of it and keep destroying their bodies and spending silly amounts of money. Like, have these people ever resupplied at the gas station, spent $50 on junk food, and then stayed in a shithole in Wormstutter for 120 bucks? Right. And, and I'm supposed to you know, keep doing it for their enjoyment? <laughs> or because some sort of you know bikepacking spirit is that whatever happens you should always finish i'm already a finisher i'm all, i'm already a podium finisher I'm, I'm 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 out there to win it and i'm out there to break the record and if i can't do that it's just they can't imagine actually what the, the kind 
of of motivation that you need to push yourself for days right just wake up bivying it's it's below freezing yeah you, you gotta get out of your sleeping bag at three in the morning and you gotta keep writing right it's not even being close to do this stuff once and, and then they're like yeah you should keep going dude it's not because <laughs> you, you can't break the record or you can't win that you should stop well i've been there before i've 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 finished races after setbacks and it's just not enjoyable it's just not fun when your goal is out of reach and you're out there it's still hard actually even if you're just pushing yourself 80 percent it's actually mentally harder because you're doing it you know it seems pointless to do it because you're doing it for some goal that you hadn't set and the goal that you had set is not reachable and it's just just it's destroying you mentally actually it's, you're not having fun you're not enjoying yourself you have nothing but regrets and and it leaves you with nothing just with just bad memories of that of that ride right and i just i don't want that i want to i don't want to have the bad memories of the second half of 2019 i just want the good memories of the first half of 2019 and i, and I want you know that 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 good really good run that left me with uh with the idea of breaking that record and i think that people really be the people of the internet really should mind their own business really should watch the dots look at the amazing stuff that the writers out there do and then when they drop out they should you know try and get some perspective and try and realize that it's just you know, everybody has his own goal going in this race. And and once this goal is gone, well, you, you, you do what you want. You do what you want. There's going to be all the dots moving. The, the race is going to keep going without you. And, and yeah. Man, I, 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 have I wonder, I like, I want, you know, for people, like, just watching dots they're just watching dots on an internet and th this, what we're doing right now is going to help people make a connection to the human side of what's actually happening when they're watching dots. Cause they're not criticizing. I don't think they're criticizing you. You know, they're just criticizing a dot that they're watching on a screen. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it's, it's yeah, not I'm fair, not but I think that's what people yeah. do. The problem is the problem is that they, they yeah they just see the dots moving they, they just see the cool pictures where we're all smiles right and it's it's somewhat you know easy but this stuff is fucking hard man Pretty. this 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 is a lot of pain this is really a lot of pain that we go through to to do this stuff in in fourteen fifteen sixteen days this is. A lot of hours where we cold, a lot of hours where we're actually wet and sometimes we're warm and, and we have all sorts of pains in our bodies, whether it's the knees, the feet, the Achilles, just the butt. It's just at some point, if you can't reach your goal, why would you go through that? Why would you go through all the pain? And they don't, I think they don't realize that. For sure, it's something that we love doing. For sure, it's something that is absolutely re rewarding. 
but it's also a lot of pain. And when the, the reward goes away, there's only the pain left. And what's the point? What's the mm. point of just having the pain? Man, that's well said. I, I think you should just leave it right there. I don't think you can say any better than that. I mean, it's like one, once the goal is gone, all that's left is the pain. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm glad to address that, actually. I'm glad you did too, man. Uh, I, I get super tired of all the keyboard heroes that are out there talk, just talking shit, you know? And it, it's, it's bullshit. Like, you're out there giving it your best, and you're out there for your own reasons, and you're doing it your way, and, and it's none of our business how you choose to race your race. It isn't. You know, you get, you get the opportunity to decide how you're going to race your race and what's important to you. And it it, it doesn't matter what we think. So I'm glad you got a chance to address and kind of talk about from your perspective, because I think it's worth talking about. Yeah, it is. It is. And if, if it can help people, you know, gain some perspective on what's happening and refrain from posting stupid stuff, uh, that's good. Yeah. All right, dude. So, what is next for you? So, um, I came to North America to ride my bike. So, this is what I'm gonna do. Uh, I'm just glad that I get to spend some time at the ranch with Kirsten at the Brush Mountain Lodge, and I'm definitely recovering here. Once I'm uh, ready to leave, which is really hard because it's such an awesome place. Once I'm ready to leave, I'm just going to go touring. Um, I really like Utah. Um, I have a friend in Salt Lake City, so I'm probably going to visit and then just go down south and uh, check out Utah and Arizona. And from there, I'm not really sure. The Baja Divide could be an option, but um, that's, that's uh yeah, that would be a big detour, but yeah, why not? Or just give me a sec, please. Give me a sec. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that, man. Food is ready. I'm gonna have a. I'm gonna have to leave soon. Nice. Is Billy Rice the there? Oh, wait. Sorry. Is Billy Rice still there? Billy Rice actually left uh, during the Great Armistice of Rush Mountain Lodge. <laughs> no, that was just Kirsten. But the, okay. the burgers are ready, and I should come out before. Uh, before they're uh, they're cold, so we're gonna have to wrap this up. Yeah, let's wrap so, it yeah. up. Basically, just gonna go touring uh, uh, Utah, uh, Arizona, Mexico. Not really sure about the route yes yet, and and not really sure how far south I'm gonna go. I don't really have stuff that I need to do at home, and I haven't been on a big tour in eighteen months, so I might just turn this into a really big tour and you know maybe when i do that the people that are upset that i quit the race will be like okay this guy is legit is still riding his bike <laughs> dude you're legit <laughs> fuck what they say no, I, man I, just I, be the, just be you why, yeah not that, not that is the reason why i do it i would never do anything for anyone else or for the the the, the way that people would voice their opinion about yeah. what i do but yeah, it's just, it's just always nice. Always nice when you can shut people up for sure uh, because of this. Too. But well, yeah, it's just just, just, just right. Feel like riding my bike. This is what I feel like doing. 
and uh, this is what I'm going to do. That's what I say on my show all the time. Just ride your damn bike any way you want, any way you like. Just ride your damn bike. That's all it is, man. Thanks yeah, for uh, thanks for talking to me, man. It's it's a uh, it's a real honor. I truly enjoyed watching your dot and rooting for you. And I, you know, I was trying to stay up late because I knew you were staying up late just to watch your dot and all that. Uh, it was a great tour divide. It's still going on. There's a lot of great people out there still doing it. Um, you were definitely a big yeah. part of it this year. So yeah, thanks for thanks for. Thanks for fucking gutting yourself, man. That's what it all is. Like you put yourself through pain and suffering so that I could watch your dot and be like, "Yay!" <laughs> My pleasure, man. So if I if I can say one thing before we wrap this up, yeah, is uh, shout out to Josh Cato in the Del Norte Hospital right now. Uh, I hope he recovers really well, and and thank you for helping me you know, push this thing even, even harder and, you know, classy guy, classy writer, legend of the sport. And I hope like he, he's, he recovers soon and he gets well soon. Well said, man. Um, are there any sponsors that you want to give a shout out to? I'd like uh, to give a shout out to Apertura who gives me my, uh, my bags, but that's pretty much the only sponsor I have, despite what some people think. Yeah. I do not get any money from this. Uh, I'm not a pro. I, uh, I just work as a regular dude, and then I have to buy my ticket, and I have to buy my bike and my gear, and I have to spend a lot of money for this stuff. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's also one thing that I've, I thought was kind of silly, like people saying, all these sponsors riders sponsor riders <laughs> there it's the, the the race is not how it used to be when it was just regular people you know what actually we're just regular people we have jobs we spend our own money to get there we buy our bikes and uh it's pretty darn expensive but we still do it so yeah if we could get all the respect for that it would be nice hey man you did it and you i mean like you did it you didn't have someone paying your way and doing all those things you it's, did it so, exactly. bravo to you. Thanks for everything. Go eat your fucking burger. You deserved it. <laughs> yeah, I'm so hungry. And thanks for the interview on the podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to, to listening to it. All right, bud. Y'all have a good one. I'll tell you what, Sofian, he interviews like he races. That was really good and uh, super entertaining. I hope you enjoyed it. All right. Uh, don't forget Alexandra's episode is coming out next week. If you want to keep up with me, uh, you can find me everywhere at Bikes or Death. Now go ride your damn bike.